a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. If you've been with us over recent weeks, you'll know that we're uh, looking at the book of Daniel together. Uh, A few other things uh, interspersed, but we're working our way uh, through the book of Daniel. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to uh, open it to Daniel chapter 5, please. Daniel chapter 5 is where we've got to this morning. We'll read the passage together in just a moment. The, uh, The series that we're looking at, we've called Faith That Works. Faith That Works. And uh, Daniel does demonstrate to us uh, an individual who had faith that worked. We can see that right throughout the book. As you read through the book of Daniel, you see two things time and time again. Firstly, uh, you see somebody whose faith really worked. And uh, it was part of his life, part of his everyday experience, very much core to who he was. Uh, It wasn't just sort of parked on the shelf and just came out at sort of high days and holidays uh, sort of thing. But rather Daniel's faith was very central to who he was as an individual. But as well as that, he had a faith that, um, if you like, he took to work. If if that that makes sense. I can explain it in those words. Because Daniel, you'll you'll find as somebody, his entire life and his entire uh, ministry that we read about in the book that bears his name, is that is most of it is an account of his work life. <laughs> you know, what he did from Monday to Friday. What his normal everyday pattern was. And uh, his encounters with various people, mainly kings, all were because of what God was doing in him and the gifts that God had put in him. So we see for Daniel somebody who had faith that worked. And uh, this series, I'm hoping, will encourage us and help us to get a, uh, a hold of our faith that not just sort of, you know, comes out on a Sunday morning and maybe a Wednesday night, but rather it's very central to who we are as individuals and very core uh, to our, our entire lives, as it was for Daniel. So if you found Daniel chapter 5, we'll, uh, we'll read that together. You might want to have it open in front of you. We'll refer to it uh, as we work our way through the passage this morning. So Daniel 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace, the king watched the hand as it, was, as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells them what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. He will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. 
Then all the king's wise men came in, but they couldn't read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed, don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he'll tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters are brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they couldn't explain it. Now I've heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets them over anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all this, instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles and your wives, your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parsim. This is what the words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Let's pray, and then we'll look at this passage together. Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you now for your word to us in the book of Daniel. 
we pray as we read it and as we spend these moments looking at it together that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, come and apply uh, the living words of Scripture right into our lives. Would we hear your voice speaking to us this morning? Would you uh, help us to understand what we read, apply it to our lives, that you might be glorified amongst us? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so a little bit of background before we get into the text itself to help us understand what we've read. The events of uh, Daniel chapter 5 here um, occur some 30 years after the events of Daniel chapter 4. And uh, Daniel is now probably into his 80s and he's still going strong. But there's no introduction as to uh, who Belshazzar is and how he appears on the scene. We're just told that he's king, aren't we? We're just told that uh, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet. And uh, we, we see in the passage that in verse 22, he's referred to uh, as a son of Nebuchadnezzar. Now it's worth saying at this point that the word son can also mean descendant or successor. And that's helpful to know. Because Belshazzar isn't listed in any of the lists of kings of the Babylonians. If you look at extra biblical texts, you look at you know, historical documents, you, you don't find him listed there. But historians who've done you know, analysis of these things uh, reckon him to be a son of a guy called Nabonidus, who was the last king of the Babylonians. And that ties in with what we see at the end of Daniel 5 because we see that uh, the Babylonian kingdom came to an end there. But Nabonidus was the last king of the Babylonians and it appears from records that we've got that he spent much of his time away from Babylon. And so he allowed his son Belshazzar to be, if you like, a co-regent or to, to rule in his place. And historians think that uh, Nabonidus was married to a daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, which actually makes Belshazzar to be Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And so that's who he is. That's who we come across right at the beginning of Daniel chapter 5. And we find him holding a feast. Now, holding a feast is not an uncommon occurrence for ancient kings. They did a lot of feast holding. Great banquet halls were built to provide for such occasions. And uh, we see here that he's got a, a feast and uh, he's drinking wine, uh, eating with his wives, uh, a thousand of his nobles and his concubines. So it's quite a sort of debauched affair, it seems. I think it's fair to say that. That also would be true of ancient feasts. And uh, he's got there his wives, many of them, it seems. So he's, he's got a thousand of his nobles that he's wanting to impress. And he's got all his concubines there as well. Now, the concubines weren't just a, sort of the ancient equivalent of pornography. They weren't just there for his uh, immoral sexual pleasure. But they were, if you like, a status symbol. So in the same way today, you might find, I don't know, for example, uh, overpaid footballers having rather expensive and flash cars to, you know, to demonstrate their wealth. In ancient times, you would have a whole bunch of concubines to do the same thing. But Belshazzar was in danger, big danger. 
but we find him rather indifferent to the danger that he finds himself in. You see, he probably would have known that there was an army close by. That, that, you know, he would have had outposts that would have looked out and seen the advancing army coming towards Babylon. But he was indifferent to it. Babylon boasted that it was uh, you know, impregnable. You couldn't get in. It boasted that they had enough food there for 20 years to survive. So he thought he was okay. But as we find, as we read the passage, we find that he's not okay at all. And because he's wanting to impress his wives, his thousand nobles and all his concubines that are there, he calls for the objects that Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem. And these had been placed away in storage and he calls for them to be brought to him. And rather than honour them as something that was associated with the temple back in Jerusalem, because they're dedicated to the Lord, he calls for them and they're used for drinking. And for worse than that, they're used for praising the gods of gold, of silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. Now you know this is going to cause trouble, don't you? You know, you, you know this is not a good move. It was a bad move for him to bring the goblets and those things from the temple to this feast to start with. That was not a good start. But then to use them for the worship of gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone, now he's crossed the line. Now he's being deliberately offensive to the Lord. And this is not just an accidental error. This is not like you might dress accidentally inappropriately on holiday. Maybe you've been in that situation. You've been in another place, in a different culture, and you've turned up to dinner wearing what is perhaps inappropriate dress for the, the occasion that you find yourself in or the culture that you're, that you're visiting. An accidental error has occurred on your part. This is no accidental error on the part of Belshazzar. This is deliberate rebellion against the gods of heaven. And God says, enough. Enough. He causes a hand to appear. And do you notice the detail the Bible gives us? We're told that the hand appears. It writes on the plaster of the wall. And historians and archaeologists have found that buildings of that time would have had that sort of plaster on the wall. So that's accurate as well. We're told that it was written near the lampstand. So it could be seen. <laughs> you know, it wasn't in some dark corner of the hall. Everybody could see it. It was where the light was. And God causes this hand to write. He's the one doing the writing. The writing now is well and truly on the wall for Belshazzar. But it's interesting, that, that phrase we use, the writings on the wall, is from Daniel 5. You might use that, you know, you might have people at work that use that. You know, you know people are talking of the company being, you know, uh, you know, making some changes and you're thinking, oh no, the writing's on the wall for this department or whatever it might be. That phrase is from here. It's interesting, there's other phrases that we use that are from the Bible as well, particularly the King James Version. Now, a wolf in sheep's clothing, baptism of fire, no rest for the wicked, your days are numbered, the writing's on the wall. All these are biblical phrases that have found their way into our everyday language. But for Belshazzar, the writing is well and truly on the wall. He calls for his wise men 
And you'd think by now, wouldn't you, that Babylonian kings have got the idea that they're wise men and not very wise. Because they haven't got a good rap through Daniel. Every time they're called for, they're stumped. But Belshazzar goes through the routine again, calls for the wise men, inverted commas perhaps, promises them great reward, and unsurprisingly, unsurprisingly, they can't interpret things. Can you still see? Fortunately, my lights are on, so I can. So Belshazzar calls the wise men. Can, can someone have a look at the lights? That would be, Dave, can you do that? Thank you, that would be great. So none of the wise men can interpret what's going on. So what happens, we're told that the queen enters. And most commentators think now that this is Nebuchadnezzar's wife. And she suggests calling for Daniel. And unsurprisingly, if you're familiar with the book, Daniel is able to interpret the writing. And so the words uh, are Aramaic. And mene, mene, tackle, passing. And uh, they can refer to a number of things. They can refer to a sequence of weights or money decreasing in value. But interestingly, one commentator says that if you add up their values, you get to 62. Which when you read that Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62 is an interesting aside. But let's look at what the words mean. Let's look at what they meant for Belshazzar. Mene. Well, this can mean numbered. It can also mean mina, which is a unit of money. And what Daniel says is that this means that God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. For Belshazzar, the judgment was immediate. That night, God required of him his life. It's similar to the, uh, the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12, the, the parable of the rich fool who thought that he could you know, just build bigger barns for his accumulated wealth and things were going to go well for him. He wasn't acknowledging God in his life. And that night, also for him, God required of him his life. For Belshazzar, the implication is judgment. God has numbered his days and that is it. Right the way through the book of Daniel, we find time and time again the theme that God is in control. We come across kings mostly who think that they're in control and they have to be shown that actually they're not in control at all. God is the one who is in control. He raises up, he puts down, he gives kingdoms to men and takes them away. And for Belshazzar, he's about to find out that God is very much in control and he has numbered the days of his reign and brought it to an end. Daniel didn't invite Belshazzar to repent. He wasn't invited to, he didn't ask to. He was different to Nebuchadnezzar. Do you recall the story of Nebuchadnezzar, how Daniel encountered him? Nebuchadnezzar repented. He changed his ways. God spoke to him and Nebuchadnezzar eventually acknowledged that the Lord was God. Now it took quite a lot of him to get there. It took several years living as a wild animal. But eventually Nebuchadnezzar was able to acknowledge that the Lord was God. That he was in control. Belshazzar doesn't do that. Nebuchadnezzar repented and found God. Belshazzar doesn't. And you see what this teaches us is this. You don't know when your life 
is going to end. None of us know that. If you're still breathing, and I think some of you are, some of you I'm not convinced, but at least most of you I think are still breathing, then what the Bible shows us is that there's still time for you to repent. You don't know how long you've got, but if you, there's still breath in you, then there's still time for you to repent and to acknowledge the Lord as God. Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. So friends, if you haven't yet responded to God's grace, if you haven't acknowledged him as Lord of all and Lord of your life, then the Bible says that today is the day for you to do that. Now is the time for you. Now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. I want to urge you, don't miss this opportunity. You don't know how long you've got. Now we can read it another way. Because God says to Belshazzar, he's numbered his days. And actually that's true for each of us. God knows how long we've got. He has numbered our days. In the same way he's numbered every hair on our head, which for some of us is a greater feat than others. But God knows these things. God has numbered your days. So the implication is also, don't worry. Who of you by worrying, said Jesus, can add a single hour to your life? You don't know when your life will end. You don't know how it will end. You, I'm sure you've heard on the news this week the uh, uh, American preacher who was convinced that the world was going to end yesterday at around 6 o'clock. It seems he was wrong. And actually, he's no different to a whole bunch of other people throughout history who have predicted different dates for the end of the world or the return of Christ. Let me say just one thing. I don't want to dwell on this, but let me, make, let me say one thing. The Bible is very clear on this. It leaves no doubt in our minds. Jesus says, but about that day or hour, no one knows not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So if somebody comes to you and says, I know when it's going to be. Or if someone comes to you and says, look, I've got a chart, I can show you when it's going to be. Don't believe them. The Bible is very clear on this. Not even Jesus knows when it's going to be. Only God the Father knows. You don't know when it's going to be. And if somebody says, turns up and says, I can tell you when it's going to be, friends, don't believe them. But do be assured of this. Jesus will return. We don't know when, but we know that he will. So we don't need to get worried about when that is because the Bible doesn't tell us when that is and only God the Father himself knows, not even the angels, not even Jesus but Jesus did say, be watchful, be ready. Belshazzar wasn't ready. Belshazzar wasn't ready to meet God. He was living his life in rebellion and he was you know, not taking any notice of what God was wanting to say to him through what he'd done in his family. But Jesus says this to us in Luke 12. He says, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him, be ready, be expectant, be watchful, because the Son of Man will come at an hour 
when you don't expect it. So we don't know when it will be, but we do know it will happen. We do know that Jesus will return. We do know that there will come a day when Jesus will return. The question for us is not to try and work out when that might be. The question for us is this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you watching? Are you waiting? Are you living your life in a way that you're expecting Jesus to return at any moment? I wonder if God required your life from you tonight, or if Jesus returned this afternoon, are you ready? That's the issue. The issue is not trying to work out when it might be, trying to work out some supposedly hidden system of numbers and draw some chart and say, well, I think it's going to be then. That's just balmy. That's not what the Bible has for us at all. What the Bible does make very clear is Jesus will return. Are you ready? Are you living in a way that you expect him to? So in Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar was judged by God and repented. In Daniel 5, Belshazzar was judged by God and dies. Belshazzar, it seemed, didn't make his peace with God. Didn't get his house in order. Didn't repent and acknowledge God as Lord. But as we've said, while you're still breathing, you can. There is still time for you. Maybe you've already done that. I know many of you have. There may be some of you here this morning who haven't yet done that, who haven't yet acknowledged Jesus as Lord, who haven't allowed him to be the king of your life. You haven't turned away and repented of everything you've done wrong that's offended God and asked for his forgiveness and grace. There is still time for you while you're breathing. Now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation, the Bible says. So mene, then tekel, which can mean weighed, or it also means shekel as well, which is a weight or a unit of currency. And Daniel says that means you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. So there's a picture in everyone's mind of ancient scales. This is no sort of electronic digital device that Daniel has in his mind here, but rather, you know, more the sort of scales you might see outside the courts of justice where there's, you know, two uh, pans, would you call them, I suppose, and you put a weight in one and what you want to weigh in the other and you see if it was heavier or lighter. Belshazzar was weighed and he was found wanting. If God weighed you today, how would you fare? If he weighed your response to him, how would you fare? Actually, the reality is, the truth is this, we would all fail the test. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the Bible also says it doesn't end there. If you put your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus then God credits to you all the good things that Jesus has done. His righteousness, his perfect, sinless life. Get credited to your account. And God forgives you and deals with and takes away all the sin and rebellion that you have accumulated. It's a great swap, isn't it? It's a great exchange, we might call it. And that happens as you put your trust and faith in Jesus. 
Belshazzar clearly has no excuse. He would have grown up hearing stories from his grandfather, hearing stories about when Nebuchadnezzar you know, lost his human mind and spent years living as a wild animal until he acknowledged that the Lord was God. He would have known about that. He knew what was right, but he chose another way. He chose to rebel against God. Friends, my prayer for you this morning is that you choose to follow God. You choose to make him the Lord of your life and the King of your life. The final word here is past sin. Perez is the singular of that, and it can mean divided. And for Belshazzar, his kingdom was about to be divided, about to be given to the Medes and Persians, and it's all about to happen within a few hours. This prophetic word, this prophecy, the interpretation of this writing would be fulfilled before the night had ended. Never assume that God's words are only going to be fulfilled at some very distant future date. They could be fulfilled much closer than that. For Belshazzar, it was immediate. We don't know when Jesus will return. So let's live in a way that honours him. Let's make sure we've made him the Lord of our life and are watchful and expectant for his return. Belshazzar was guilty of many sins, it would seem. One of them was pride. And pride and arrogance go together in Belshazzar's life. And it appears that they become a very toxic combination. And they are a toxic combination. They do often go together. And that seems to be at the very root of what Belshazzar was doing here. He was arrogant against God. He was uh, full of pride. And God God was going to judge him now for this. The army of the Medes and Persians was literally at the gate, about to bring great destruction, about to overthrow the Babylonian Empire. Belshazzar thought he was untouchable. He thought he was unsaleable. He thought he was indestructible. How wrong he was. You see, pride corrupts your vision. Those of you who have got glasses will know how it is when you, when you go to the opticians and they, they put these, this big heavy pair of glasses on you and start sort of playing with the lenses and saying, is that better, is that worse? And start turning things around and trying to get things in focus. And you know that if things aren't correct there, things are out of focus, you can't see clearly. Pride does that to our hearts, you know. When we're full of pride, we can't see things clearly. It corrupts our spiritual vision. Proverbs 16 verse 18 says this, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. How true that was for Belshazzar. We might know the phrase as pride goes before a fall. And maybe you're not proud on the scale of Belshazzar. I don't know of any of you that have had great feasts for a thousand friends, lined up your wives and concubines and you know, drunk through the night praising different gods. And as far as I'm aware, none of you have done that recently. (laughs) But pride says that you're better than your friends. Pride says you don't need to work at the spiritual disciplines that Christians down the years have found to be beneficial in their walk with God, reading his word and spending time with him for two examples. Pride puts you above the input and correction of godly friends and leaders. Pride says that you know best, that God doesn't. Pride leads to a stony and unrepentant heart that's far from God. 
So I want to urge you this morning, don't let pride enter your heart. Be humble before God. We looked last time, didn't we, about how God had to humble Nebuchadnezzar. And I guess none of us want to be humbled like that. Much better we humble ourselves (laughs) rather than God have to do it for us. So let's have a soft and repentant heart before God that isn't hard towards him. If pride has got in, then repent, deal with it, and allow God back in to take his rightful place in your life, in your heart. James 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but shows favour or gives grace to the humble. I know I mentioned pride last week, but it seems such an obvious root of Belshazzar's sin here. We couldn't but mention it again. And it is a danger that is there for us. Belshazzar's reign came to a sudden end. He wasn't expecting it. He was partying the night away, not expecting that he was going to lose his life within hours. Things can happen suddenly, can't they? Think of things that have happened uh, in the world recently that have been sudden. You know, earthquakes, disasters, financial crises. Nobody expected these things or predicted them. These things happen suddenly. Are you prepared? If God was to write on your wall, and I don't mean on Facebook, if God was to write on your wall, what would he say? What would he say? If God's hand came to your wall, what might he write? We sang that great song earlier, didn't we? Be lifted high. But the question for us is, what or whom are we lifting high? Who are you lifting high in your life? What are you lifting high? Is it God? Is it his glory, his splendor, his majesty, the wonder and beauty of his son? Or is something else being lifted high in your life? The challenge that Belshazzar brings us and this passage brings us is to remind us that God is in control. And there will come a time for each of us when God judges us. And for Belshazzar, that was immediate. It was within the few hours. That may be true for some of us. For some others of us, it may be years hence. We don't know. But today, the Bible says, is a day of salvation. Today is a time when you can repent and trust in God. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray as, uh, as we close. If the band could come up, please, that would be good. If it isn't overdoing it, I think it would be good to sing that, that song again, Adam. Yeah, be lifted high. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have recorded for us in your words. We thank you, Lord, for everything that the book of Daniel is teaching us. Thank you, Lord, for Daniel's encounter with various kings. Thank you for your encounter with various individuals. And Lord, we thank you for your encounter with us. 
Thank you, Lord, that many of us uh, can stand and know what it is to have encountered you and to have encountered your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. And Jesus, we want to thank you for that this morning. But Father, for any who haven't encountered that yet, I want to pray right now that God, this morning, today might be a day of salvation. Today might be a day of experiencing your favour and your grace and your forgiveness, maybe for the first time. And so I pray, Lord, that God, you would speak to every heart this morning. Father, for any who need to respond to you for the first time, to respond to your invitation, your offer of grace and forgiveness, I pray, Lord, right now, speak into those hearts. Father, for any who are challenged with Belshazzar and his heart that was full of pride, for any father who have allowed themselves to be caught up in pride, I I pray right now that there'll be soft hearts towards you and repentant hearts towards you, O God. Lord, we just stand in your presence in these moments and say, Lord, would you do what you want to do in our lives, Lord? Would you do what only you can do in our lives? Thank you, Lord, that you draw us to yourself. Thank you that you've given us opportunity to repent and to acknowledge you as our Lord and Saviour. And Father, we want to do that afresh this morning. We want to lift you high, Lord. We want you to be glorified in our lives. You to be lifted high in our lives personally, Lord, in our families. Lord, in this your church. Lord, in this city and the nation and the nations of the earth. We want you to be lifted high, O God. So be lifted higher now on the praises of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.